1: and their essential
0: love of justice. Hi, welcome
2: to the Kudzu Vine for January 10th, 2021. I'm your host, Dave McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith.
3: Greetings from Atlanta.
2: And welcome, Tim Shiflett.
1: Good evening, sir.
2: Yes, uh, tonight on the show in about 20 minutes, we're going to welcome for the first time to the Kudzu Vine, uh, Niles Edward Francis. Um, if you're following any part of election Twitter, you've probably seen his postings. Um, if you're in the Georgia area, you may have seen him on TV or other places, uh, because even though he's quite young, he's got developing quite a, um, following, uh, with election coverage in particular, our state, the peach state. And, um, we'll kind of start out thinking about that. You know, we had something pretty big happen Tuesday night. And I would think we would plan to discuss that right off, but unfortunately, we had the events of um, Wednesday afternoon. And uh, Wednesday afternoon, um, it was scary. Wednesday afternoon was sad. Um, it's going to be one of those days that I think actually makes it into some history books in a very, very bad way. Um, it's a very, very dark day for our democracy. Um, Catherine? Uh, When I got back to I was at one school campus I had to move to another I heard uh, about what was going on And so I I actually had a little time That I could, while I ate my lunch Watch some of um, CNN's coverage And at the time It didn't look as bad As the videos that unfolded later And the stuff that unfolded later Was just horrifying Um, What was your kind of take on How everything unfolded for you?
3: Well, I was working away. Uh, you know, I'm working remotely, and I was I, I was working on some projects, and I wasn't really paying attention to my phone or, um, I, I mean, I was just sort of deep in. I can't even remember what I was doing, but it was something that was taking up my attention. And I happened to uh, uh, ch- g ch- or you know text my boss about a question, and she said she checked text back and said. I can't believe you're still working with all that's going on. And I was like, what? And so then I checked my phone and realized what was going on. And then I kind of couldn't really do much work anymore because I was so captivated by it all. And of course um, the whole thing was shocking and horrifying on a, on a major level, but also um, my dear friend, Nikema Williams, who's been a close friend of mine for many years who just, recently was sworn in uh to the fifth congressional district uh congressional seat was there and so then we all became worried about her and thankfully she checked in and she's fine and everything was fine but there was a moment there where it wasn't just a um uh, worry about the you know state of our capital and the state of our country but also about a dear friend so it was very uh it was horrifying. It was a, I mean, that's the only thing I can say. And I, I must say that as the days have gone by, it's really gotten worse. The more we learn about what they had in mind and the tools that they had with them, and and I, I, I feel like it's just getting worse. And and that's kind of unusual to me. Usually, after yeah, a while, you sort of. Anyway, so that's where yeah, I. I think you're right. I mean, I think, you know, because I saw some footage
2: comparing, you know, things to 9-11, and it's not a an apples-to-apples apples comparison, but the the plane hit the World Trade Center. The plane hit the Pentagon, and it didn't get better, but it didn't get worse. Um, in this case, you know, the first footage I saw, Tim, was people walking through Tunda. They looked like goofballs. You had heard that they had pushed through, but you didn't know how they did. And then you see the video of how they pushed through the fence, how they broke through the windows. And then as it keeps going, you see more and more information and more and more videos um, coming up. What were your thoughts on what happened on Wednesday?
1: Well, uh, I was watching as it all happened. Um, And I my first thought is that January 6, 2020 will go down as one of the darkest days in the history of this country. It will be right there with Pearl Harbor nine eleven. The difference, though, is that this time our own people attacked us. And, and the sad thing is that it, they were incited. And, and revved up by the President of the United States, not all of them, but some. Um, there were some that were there, I believe, that, uh, well, we now know, they, they just had, they had this plan. They, they had a couple of weeks to do it, and they planned it out. They were in contact with each other. They had weapons. They had bombs. They had radios. They were wearing body armor, dressed in paramilitary uniforms. And um, after that, during Trump's speech at the ellipse, there were already some of them breaking off and headed to the Capitol. While it was going on, I, I was thinking, where is law enforcement? The Capitol Police were there on their own. I would have thought there would have been a show of force to stop these people several blocks from the Capitol. Uh, But at 2.16 p.m., these, I'm going to call them terrorists because that's what they are, uh, they breached the Capitol. And, uh, of course, Trump is tweeting during that time about Pence not having the courage to do what needed to be done. Gee, that that helped, didn't it, guys? And uh, during the middle of it, Ted Cruz sent out a fundraising email asking people to stand with him in his fight to reject electors. And there were people at that time running all over the capital. Some of the videos and footage and, and and pictures have been horrifying to say the least. Uh, there are you know pictures there of the officer that was beaten to death uh, with a fire extinguisher. There's one of a i'm sure you've seen it of an officer who was crushed between doors uh there was one of the lady uh one of the people who broke in who was shot in the chest and killed and I just don't think things will ever be the same again. They've never been quite the same since 9-11 and this is going to affect us profoundly for a long time. That homegrown terrorists could breach one of the most secure buildings in the world. I've I've really felt down since then. I, I, I I'm and, and the way Trump has acted, the president of the United States, man, I. Uh, Wow. <laughs> it's hard to put all of it into words, guys.
2: Yeah, there's really so much. You, you really need a timeline of how things unfolded. I mean, I think we had heard, you know, in, in Dalton, uh, the password was, um, you know, talking about, you know, coming to the rally in um, January 6th in D.C. And these people had come from all over the country. Um, flown out, because actually, after all this went down, I don't know if y'all heard the report, there was a flight from D.C. to Phoenix in which they were yelling and being so rowdy that the pilot had to come over the air and say, um, if you don't calm down to where we can function this plane in the right way, we will have to land in Kansas, and I'll throw every one of you off. And so this shows that these folks in no way learned a lesson. I mean, you know, I've heard the take that that most of the people wouldn't have done this, but the mob mentality, they got all wrapped up into it, which I, I understand how people get wrapped up into things, but to the point to where all this went down, five people died, and then you're on a plane and you're yelling, stop the steal, or Mike Pence is awful, or whatever you're yelling, and you didn't learn from that. I just don't have a lot of use for that at that point. Um, the, the, they didn't you know, catch on to what was going on. Um, and so now we're faced with this much bigger question. Where do we go from here? Now, there are things, there are actions that can be taken um, on some of these individuals, really any they can identify that stole things, that tore things up, that brought – Zip ties into kidnap people that may have been saying they were going to, you know, commit violent, malicious acts on different um, uh, people that were in the Capitol building. Um, You know, people can do things to Donald Trump, but people can do things to social media accounts and services. But how do we rebuild our democracy is the much bigger and more complicated question. I kind of feel I don't like the one I call on first because it's such a, such a grand question, but I guess Catherine, it's your turn. Uh,
3: I don't know, <laughs> but I do think that um, one of the things that I've 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 thought about a lot since uh, Wednesday uh, is that uh, I think that we are very fortunate that Joe Biden will soon be president. I think that he has the right I mean, if anybody of all the people if anybody can uh, do anything to repair some of this, I think he's a good uh, a good individual to try to do that. You know, he has a great deal of he has a great temperament for this. He's calm and compassionate and understand. I think he understands the the brevity of this, and the um, and he is really able to talk to a lot of different people, and has access to a lot of people through his long leadership or long, you know, standing service in the country. So I'm, I, I mean, it's a lot. It's a bit. It's a lot to put on him obviously but i do think that he is a good person to be president during this time i think he will help bring us together um though i mean i I don't know if that's enough because a lot of the people that most of the people that we're talking about who you know led this and participated in this don't have any confidence in him and don't trust that he won legitimately and all those kind of things, but I do think that he's a good Yeah,
2: it's, uh, I think he'll be brave
3: Lost you, David Well,
1: apparently we
2: lost Josh Holley, that's just in the Senate
1: I think they get getting crazier David, in the house. David, Some, David, um, David, same kind of thing. Yeah, but no, I, I, yeah. I wanted to tell you to please repeat what you just said because about two thirds of it did not go out over the air.
2: Oh, I apologize. Well, you know, Catherine, I think you're right that Joe Biden does have a good profile for it. But Joe Biden, you know, he was good at reaching across the aisle with people like that in our current Senate, like you know. Um, Susan Collins and, and Chuck Grassley, not Josh Hawley, not uh, Ted Cruz, and certainly not these characters in the House. That there's just too many to name. That you know don't want to work with anybody, and they're the ones that are elected. They're supposed to be the rational ones, not like the guy toting the speaker's um, podium out, or bringing the zip ties into the House, or um, wearing you know paramilitary paraphernalia into the Capitol building. Kim,
1: you know, where do we go well, from here? Well, well, we, in the short term, we do have to do some things. These social media sites that all of this hate talk is on, uh, and, and I mean, they're, they're actually on these sites planning what just happened. Um, uh, they, they've got to be shut down, and they are in the process of being shut down. Secondly, like Catherine said, we, we've we got to change presidents. At 6 o'clock the other night, Trump t- tweeted this. These are the things and events that happen when a sacred landslide victory is so unceremoniously and viciously stripped away from great patriots who have been Badly and unfairly treated for so long. Go home with love and peace, and in peace, remember this day forever. Well, well isn't that nice? Uh, after what happened at the Capitol, man, the White House didn't even lower their flags to half staff until this afternoon. Uh, we nearly had a fight, a fist fight, on the House floor the other night. Uh, by, by the way, Colin Allred would have won it because he was an NFL linebacker. But I mean, we're we to that point now. And and another thing, we got to do in the short term. These people have declared war on the United States. Uh, all these different groups and stuff. And and I think they sent representatives from all these groups. These people went up there intending to do this. And and you know. Uh, Maybe a couple of thousand others got dragged along with them, uh, caught up in the moment, but, but they're all going to have to pay. We've got to go out and get every one of them, and we've got to uh, go on the offensive against these people and make sure it doesn't happen again. Uh, when we get a new president in there that, you know, takes charge, uh, perhaps it'll be better, but we have got a major major problem we could have more violence in this country uh we need to brace for it uh that's where we go Absolutely. from
3: here we gotta
1: yeah. we gotta we gotta prepare for for war with these people now
2: yeah and i tell you this i think this conversation unfortunately is going to be an ongoing topic uh for the next few weeks and then tim something dawned on me as you were talking I I listened to a lot of John Grisham books and seen some of the movies too. And I think Donald Trump's one of the few people that could watch a movie, Time to Kill, and say, hey, there's good people on both sides. Um, You know, he (laughs) just, I I mean, how in the world you could, you know, still kind of praise some of these people after, um, you know, I guess it was in the early evening he, he sent that. Well, we want to welcome into the Kudzu Vine for the first time. Uh so excited about it, Mr. Niles Edward Francis. Welcome, Niles.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate being on the show today.
2: Excellent well Niles um we kind of told that you're you know big into election Twitter. um just kind of <laughs> first start off with our listeners. uh tell us a little about your um bio and political background.
0: So I've been involved in politics for a very long time. When I was about five or six years old, I memorized every American president from George Washington to, at the time, Barack Obama. But I'd say my interest in what I like to do now, which is, like, analyze various elections and write about elections, I'd say that began – my interest in all of this began, like, in the run-up to the 2016 election – When I saw all of these people on TV saying that, like, you know, you need votes from here, like, this is why, here's why this state is important, here's why this county here is important, things like that. And those kind of conversations, like, they really fascinated me, so that's kind of how I got into what I'd like to do now.
2: Yes, and um, I think I've, I don't want to speak out of term, but I think I've uh, seen in your tweets talking about finals coming up. Are you studying political science at a college somewhere?
0: Um I have not declared a major
2: yet. Okay, okay. Well, good deal. I just it seems like a natural fit. Um and <laughs> you know, it, it's my major as well. I I got a political science degree many years ago and I'm working on now on a masters in political science even though I've got several education degrees at the post um graduate level. So, I highly recommend it. I've enjoyed it. Um Well, yeah. Well, we had, of course, had you on. We want to know about your bio, but we want to talk some you know, raw politics as well. And um, I'm going to just kind of start off with something. When we booked you, we didn't know what happened would be, you know, what's going on in the national scene. And we are a very divided country. We were a divided country a year ago, four years ago, but we seem more divided than at any point probably in any of our lifetimes because none of us were born in the 1860s. Um, Where do we go from here To to begin to rebuild Some semblance of a peaceful democracy
0: Um, Well I just say We all just Get involved Like hold your elected officials accountable Like if you if you see like you know in the words of um the late congressman john lewis he would always say that like you know whenever you see something that's not right you have to speak out and i think we should continue doing that in a peaceful way like he would want us to do like whenever he saw something that was not right he would always peacefully um he would always peacefully speak out against it even though like even when he peace back when he was doing this he was seen as like a um he was seen as like a violent agitator or a um or a, you know, or a fringe type of like, you know, his his ideas of people um, of peaceful demonstrations were seen as, you know, fringe or um, they were seen as, you know, they just weren't seen as normal. But like, you know, he normalizes this kind of thing. He he would want us to he would want us to continue uh, protesting and speaking out peacefully against our elected officials or anyone whenever we see something that's not right. And I think we should honor his legacy by doing that.
2: Yes. Well, I've got my co-host here, Tim Schifflet, Catherine Smith. I'm going to pass it on to them to ask some questions, and then we may come back and I may have just a little something I want to ask about in the end. But until then, I'm going to pass it to Tim.
1: Go right ahead. Good, e- Good evening, Mr. Francis, and thank you for being on with us tonight. Um, I live up here in the 14th Congressional District arguably one of the most conservative districts, I suppose, in the United States. I mean, we just elected Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, (laughs) up here. And yet, the other night, on runoff night, the Democrats in this district gained around 35,000 votes district-wide over what they had achieved on November the 3rd what what happened there did did republican voters just stay home or or what happened
0: well i read in the atlanta journal constitution a few days ago that um republicans were saying that over 100,000 of their of their voters did not turn out and you and you know georgia's a very competitive state like you know a, a a few thousand votes could easily make or break a race either way, either way. So um, Mm -hmm. 100,000 voters, 100,000 voters, Republican voters sitting out that arguably that could that arguably did make the difference in this runoff election. Like you had the president of the United States making all of these outlandish claims against voter, you know, about uh, voter fraud and vote by mail. And you had um, both Senator Perdue and Senator Leffler calling on the secretary of state, a Republican to resign after the November election so these kinds of conflicting messages among Republicans um, um, they could have created some um, some doubt among Republican voters about whether or not they should turn out to vote so um, that's probably why we didn't see um, as energized of a Republican base as we saw in November
1: yeah, and that probably happened in districts all over Georgia too, didn't it? A few, even in heavily Republican districts like this one, a few votes here, a few votes there, it made a difference. It did. It absolutely did. Like I said, Georgia is a very competitive state.
0: Like you know, a, mm-hmm. a few thousand, a few thousand votes. No matter who – whether you vote, whether you don't vote, or whether you vote for – like, no matter – 100,000 votes could easily swing an election in a state like Georgia because it's such a close state.
3: Mm. Uh,
1: Now I'm going to change gears uh, because I noticed something on your Twitter feed that really caught my eye because uh, you have a similar love to me. That is a love of maps. I love that <laughs> 270 dot wincom site. I'm a junkie for it. I'm on it all the time. Well, you did a map uh, in which you're already looking at the 2022 Senate races. And mm-hmm. uh, you have indicated... In your comments, that Democrats are more likely to gain seats in the 2022 midterms in the Senate than they probably are in the House. Why is that?
0: Well, because we this cycle we actually saw Democrats lose seats in the House and in a Biden uh-huh. midterm. In a in a you know what will likely be a, a Republican favorable environment on top of redistricting in several states we could see Democrats uh, lose even more ground in the House next year. Um, in terms of the Senate, like you, you um, in terms of the seats that are up on the in the Senate, like you have you'll have an open seat in Pennsylvania, you'll have a competitive seat in Wisconsin. And you, like, you know, you also have North Carolina there on the map. Um, North Carolina, I'm not so sure about, but um, you have much more, um, Republicans will have much more turf to defend, much more vulnerable turf to defend than Democrats. Like Democrats, sure, they have seats in Georgia and Arizona and Nevada, but, um, you know, those states, of course, um, those states went for Biden, but Republicans are defending are defending seats in states that Biden won in November. Like, you know, they'll have to defend um, Pennsylvania and they'll have to defend um, Wisconsin. Like, depending on who runs in those states, I'll, you know, probably reevaluate those. But um, for now, I would say that it's more likely that Democrats gain seats in the Senate than in the House.
1: Mm -hmm. I I noticed uh, your your map did show Wisconsin as slightly leaning Republican. Now, this is going to be an open seat. Ron Johnson is is announcing that he's not going to run again. Um, Do you think that it being an open seat and the fact that Biden just won the state uh, could flip that seat for us?
0: Uh, Well, in terms of your comment about Ron Johnson,
1: I don't think he has made a final
0: decision yet. I don't think uh-huh. he's made a final. De- I don't think he's made a final decision yet on whether or not he will run for reelection. But um, if he does run, then yes, I would see it as slightly leaning Republican. But as an open seat, I'd say that all bets are off. Yes.
1: Uh huh. Okay, I want to ask you one more question. This is kind of a strange one. I want to come back to Georgia. Then I'm gonna pass it over to Catherine for some more questions. But the voters the other night elected a 33-year-old. Jewish person, the first Jewish senator in the history of this state, a black minister and a white Republican named Bubba. How in <laughs> this world did the voters of this state do all three of those things? Are we just a, a a pure purple state now absolutely, absolutely um I think that public
0: service that public service commission Republican that was on the ballot that you mentioned. Um, He actually Mm -hmm. got he got more votes than both Senator Perdue and Senator Loeffler. Um, So make of of that what you will. But, um, you know, he's actually part of that could be because he's from North Georgia. He's from North uh-huh. Georgia, and we, we did see that area. Um, that area was not very energized to vote for either Senator Perdue or Senator Leffler, but they were actually, they were they may have been energized to vote for um, you know the candidate that was from their area. That could have been part of it. But um, yes, Georgia oh, is absolutely okay. <laughs> Georgia is absolutely a purple state now. There's no other way to slice yeah. it. Um, these two Democratic Senate wins easily cement
1: Georgia's status as a purple state. Yeah. Well, Catherine is 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 better at getting more in depth with these Senate races and stuff in Georgia than me, so I'm going to pass it over to Catherine now for some questions. Catherine,
3: hey Niles, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Um, you certainly have a lively Twitter feed, and uh, we're grateful that you were able to come on the show with us tonight. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really curious. I'm, I'm, I haven't had a chance to do a deep dive on most of these numbers, but I am, uh, I've been involved in Georgia politics for a long time. And while I'm not as involved as I was five or six years ago, I'm certainly grateful that all the work that we've all been doing all these years has finally paid off. And that's what I want to ask you about. Um, I understand that I've heard that, you know, the Georgia democratic party, and other organizations had, you know, hundreds if not thousands of volunteers and staff um, working the, work the field and, you know, getting out the vote. And do you think we can sustain that kind of work and keep the, the enthusiasm for Democrats going through the midterms and, all, and obviously the very important statewide constitutional officers? Uh, elections in 2022 are are we going to be able to do that and how do we um
0: absolutely absolutely i think it's very important that um democrats that democrats continue to be involved and continue you know recruiting all of these volunteers to um go knock on these doors like part of the like you know these elections proved that even when there's you know for um these these elections prove that even when there's no presidential race on the ballot um that you know democratic voters are still willing to turn out and 2022 we're not going to have a presidential race on the ballot so um like these runoffs prove that voters democratic voters will still they'll still come out in runoff and uh in elections where there's no presidential race on the ballot um you know in the past um we did we have seen um Drop-offs in these types of elections, where there's no presidential election on the ballot, whether it's a runoff or whether it's a midterm election. Um, and you know, these runoff, these last two runoff elections that we just had, these elections disproved that theory. Um, we saw super high turnout, millions of dollars being spent, um, you know, politicians, high-profile politicians from all across the country, flying to Georgia to tr- to campaign for the candidates. So I do think that we're going to see um, an increased level of involvement in these types of elections. I think, I think, um, because now that voters have an idea of how important these elections are, democratic voters have an an idea of how how important these elections are, they will start turning out in higher numbers in elections where, you know, you may not have a presidential election on the ballot.
3: I am so excited to hear you say that. And I hope that, you're absolutely correct because that I I think um, and I I also think that it draws attention to how important um, our local and uh, state elections are and that we really can have an impact on the um, by selecting uh, elected officials who will serve us so I think that's great and I hope you're absolutely right I wonder (laughs) if there's so going forward um, are there uh, certain elections that you're, you know, are you looking at, like, what's going to happen with our governor's election? Uh, obviously, the Secretary of State's um, position is uh, turning out to be very, very important. I mean, I think we all, those of us inside baseball, have always known that it's important, but I think it's showing to be much more important to the, to the public at large. So do you have any thoughts on, What's going to happen with those constitutional officers in 2022? Do you have some predictions or uh, likely candidates that you'd like to mention or uh, strategies that you think we need to use to win them back?
0: Well, for the governor's race, it's practically an open secret in Georgia politics that Stacey Abrams will be running for governor again. Like that's practically the worst kept secret in the Georgia political. <laughs> <laughs> it's True. practically the worst kept secret in Georgia's political atmosphere. So, um, but um, that that seemed like it would be Brian Kemp's biggest um, the, the, the biggest fight that Governor Kemp would have on his hands would be a rematch with Stacey Abrams. But now it's the question of whether, whether or not he will be even he will even be running against her because he has to worry about a potential Republican primary like President Trump was up in Dalton um, the, the day before the runoff election saying that he would be back to campaign against Governor Kemp, who he handpicked for the job a few years ago. So <laughs> I find that kind of ironic. So we'll see how that shakes out. We'll see who runs against Governor Kemp in the Republican primary. Um, But I will say that primarying a governor is easier said than done. Governors do not lose primaries very often. So we'll see how that turns out. But, um, yeah, Stacey Abrams is definitely going to be running again. Um, I don't know when she's going to be announcing, but we know that she's going to be running again. So um, that's that's one race that we'll be keeping our eye on very closely. In terms of the Secretary of State race, I'm, you know, President Trump has also um, not been kind to Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger either, so I'm interested to see if we have a Republican primary for that one as well. Um, it's interesting all around. Um, but yeah, we have a, you know all, these, all these statewide offices in 2022 are going to be pretty close. Um, and, you know, you also have um, a Sen- a now Senator-elect um, Rafael Warnock will be back on the ballot in 2022 mm-hmm. as well. So um, Republicans, um, I do I do not personally, I do not believe that um, now defeated Senator Kelly Loeffler is going to be running again. Um, I don't know who is going to be um, challenging Senator-elect Warnock in two years, but that will be, you know, something worth watching um, as we get closer to the um, primary. So yeah, a lot of interesting statewide races in 2022, like, you know 20 the 2022 elections began the moment both of those runoffs were called so
3: <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely in fact they some of them there's some uh local candidates that started before them as we may, or may as you may or may not know so um and just one more question um what do you think the what do you think the role of um current president Donald Trump will be As we go into these 2022 um, and then 2024 elections, do you think he's going to still have any impact, or is he going to be, you know, sitting in a golf course, uh, not paying any attention to anything?
0: Well, um, President Trump um, is wildly popular among Republican voters, so I do believe that he will still be playing a large role in Republican politics going forward. How big of a role? We'll see. And, you know, there's already chatter about him running again into in, two, in uh, four years. So I still think that he will maintain. I still think he will maintain a good grasp on the Republican Party going forward, because, uh, you know, he has probably the highest approval rating in, among his party of any Republican president in modern history. So um, I still think that we, we will still see him out there campaigning for Republican candidates, um, getting involved in Republican primaries. Um, it's only a matter of, um, you know, will he continue to, um, will voters at large, will they, will they still be frustrated with him or will they choose to take their anger out on the new administration? Like that part remains to be seen because I don't think, um, I don't think any president has been as any, any former president will be, will um be as involved in their party as president Trump likely will be after he leaves office. Like, you know, we've seen, um, president, uh, former president Barack Obama campaign in, um, you know, for democratic candidates, but um, I don't believe he's ever played a role in democratic primaries for like Senate or for house or governor or anything like that. Like, um, president Trump, he, endorsed his candidates in you know primaries and republican primaries like that's how that's how governor kemp won his primary so um yeah it'll be interesting to see um i still think he will maintain a good amount of, of uh, a good grip on the republican party going forward though
3: unless he's in jail <laughs> just, just to <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm gonna pass it to david thanks so much niall but really thank you for being that. on Mhm. thank you
2: Yes. Well Niles, I think you're right about Kelly Leffler. She's over two, um, spending millions of dollars to, to lose both elections um for US Senate, even though she was handed the incumbency, um, probably one of the worst political performances um in recent history. And so I had another thought. What if David Perdue, who's actually won, you know, two elections, um, Even finished first when he hit the runoff with John Ossoff. What if he decided to run for re-election seemingly to the Senate in 2022 against Raphael Warnock? What do you think that matchup would
0: look like? Well, I have. That's <laughs> not a scenario that I've thought about, but that's very interesting. I, but um, the thing about Senator Perdue is he's getting up there in age. Like he's 71 years old, and mounting a second statewide campaign two years after losing at the age of 71 or 72. Um, that doesn't exactly sound um, logical, but um, I do think that would be an interesting race. Um, Senator Perdue, like Senator Leffler. Um, he has millions of dollars. he's very wealthy, um, so yeah, that will be very interesting. I do think um yeah, the thing about Senator Perdue that um I think people forget is he underperformed Mitt Romney when he first won his seat in 2014 like he he did a little, he did slightly worse than um than Mitt Romney did two years earlier, so um I think that kind of um I think he gets too i personally think he gets too much um he gets too much uh, credit as a candidate like he he was um a pretty big underperformer in 2014 and then even in 2020 where you saw republicans like susan collins run ahead of trump by double digits like um senator purdue only ran about even with president trump statewide like that's not that impressive especially when you like i said when you saw like senator susan collins run ahead of trump pretty pretty substantially and Senator John Cornyn, in Texas, he also ran ahead of Trump pretty substantially. Like, you know, we didn't see Senator Perdue or Senator Leffler, for that matter, um, run it run ahead of Trump um, by significant margins. In Senator Leffler's defense, she was in a jungle primary, which had like, you know, more Republican candidates on the ballot. So, um, but yeah, like Senator Perdue, um, I do think that um, I do think that uh, that if he were were to run against now Senator elect Warnock, I think that would be interesting. Um, I don't think he will um, we'll see, but um I don't think um, because Democrats Republicans acknowledged in the Atlanta journal constitution article that I mentioned earlier um Republicans also acknowledged that the corruption attacks that Democrats hurled at um Senator Leffler and Senator Perdue, like you know they were both um they were both accused of you know, selling stocks after receiving a coronavirus briefing. Um, I don't think Republicans will want to um, will want to you know reignite those attacks by <laughs> by nominating them again. So we'll see. Um, two years is a long time in politics, and for all we know, the coronavirus will be old news two years from now. But um, it will be interesting, nevertheless. Um, but yeah these make no mistake these next 2 years are going to be pretty exciting in Georgia politics <laughs>
2: yes and i don't overrate him as a candidate i mean this is a guy that really cost himself the senate seat when he went to that Macon rally and he purposefully at least i believe uh mispronounced over and over Kamala Harris's name somebody he'd worked with for i guess 4 years in the senate that was an unforced error and i'm Almost positive it costs him probably a point in the election and, you know, a few percentage or tenths of a percentage point, and he avoids a runoff. Um, so yeah, I, I think yeah. he had an enforced error to cost himself a Senate seat.
0: Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Like, He only fell a few thousand votes short of winning re-election outright, and I do think that um, that moment at that Macon rally where he, like you said, mispronounced Kamala Harris's name, I do think that that was enough to um, – that could have been enough to um, – persuade a few thousand voters in the state so um and you also I also think that um that moment at that last debate like you know that their final you know at Ostov and Purdue's final debate where Ostov basically called them a crook um I do think that that played a role as well like you know that's you know that saw um that generated millions of dollars in fundraising for Ostov. it went viral it was um All over social media. Um, And I do think that that also uh, may have moved a few thousand votes as well because of how um, significant a moment it was and how nationally televised it was. And of course, after that, after that, Senator Perdue did not show up to any debate. So um, I do think that um, I do think that that also um, may have moved a few thousand voters as well.
2: Most definitely. And, and that just shows how weak the Republican bench is. They used to have the bigger bench than the Democrats. And now, because they seem to be wanting to primary their own, um, you know, they've got three elected officials, including the lieutenant governor, that may get primaried. Um, and then nobody can step up because everybody's so fearful of standing with, um, you know, on the side of democracy like the Secretary of State did that. Um, there's real problems in that party, and they're going to have a tough time finding candidates, I believe, until they fix this. Well, Niles, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, just tell our listeners, we've talked about your Twitter feed. Tell them what that is, and then also, if you're writing anywhere else, tell them all the places they can read you.
0: Um, well, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Niles, G-A-P-O-L, that's N-I-L-E-S. G a P O L. Um, and I do, I free, I occasionally write for a website like this. Um, it's called, um, decision desk HQ where we analyze and write about elections all across the country. Um, and I, and occasionally I will also contribute to, um, the university, the, um, center for politics at the university of Virginia, which is um, run by, um, by the great Larry Sabato. I will occasionally write for them, um, as well. Um, I, my last piece for them focused on what else—the Georgia runoffs. <laughs> this was right before, <laughs> Christmas. This was, uh, right before Christmas, and um, yeah, I, I thought it was a really good piece. And um, but yeah, I do a lot of—you um, you, guys—I'm—I'm I'm pretty much all over the place, so. <laughs> So um, yeah, my primary way to reach me would be on Twitter. Um, I'm usually very responsive, so um, if you ever want to reach out to me, you can reach out to me on Twitter. Again, that's Niles G A P O L um, N I L E S G A P O L. And um, thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate this.
2: Yes, thank you for coming on, and hopefully it won't be the last time.
0: No problem. Thank Thank you. you, Thank you guys so much. Thank Thank you, you, sir. sir.
2: All right. Mr. Niles Francis. Um kinda if you if you notice a lot of our guests we have had on election Twitter uh, are are younger. I mean I mean they're you know, but they're so knowledgeable and understand numbers and maps and kind of where things are going. Um so just another great young voice um off of um social media political world. Um well guys, we didn't get a chance to talk about the Georgia Senate race the um after 'Cause we did so much free vote you on it, you know, not just last week but for, you know, months now. Um, but this thing happened. Um i f I'm gonna take one take. I you know, I and Catherine did too. We had we picked these things right. But what really surprised me was not the outcome, but the speed at which Georgia counted these ballots. Um we kind of had like seventy five percent of the vote counted really before we went to bed, and I don't think any of us stayed up that late, um, to know because we were texting each other. And, you know, places like the New York Times, people like Dave Wasserman, they could kind of see where the votes were coming in, and they were able to make predictions. um, They predicted Raphael Warnock in the 9 o'clock hour. They pretty much predicted John Ossoff pretty confidently uh, before 11 o'clock, I believe. And that's, to me, the biggest surprise is this thing didn't take – two and three days and no unending recounts. Um it, it was so clean and after all the problems that you know places like Floyd County had counting ballots, um it it was nice to see the state so organized. Um Tim, uh what was your, some of your takes on, you know, these big wins by uh John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock.
1: Yeah, let let, let me uh, add that I, I was the one that did stay up late, okay? <laughs> I stayed with it till about three <laughs> and then then was back up at seven. I don't know. It it it's it's old habits die hard and I've done it all these years. So at any rate, um it was really interesting to see something that he mentioned and that is that Bubba McDonald got more votes than Either Senate, Republican Senate candidate did. Uh, Kelly Leffler got the smallest vote of all the six candidates. Uh, More people voted in this runoff in Georgia than voted in the 2016 election. How about that? I mean, we we got people fired up, and, and here they came to vote. Uh, and as you mentioned, there were, there were no real cliffhangers here. Um, they were, they were calling these things fairly early. As a matter of fact, Reverend Warnock won by nearly ninety thousand votes. Uh, he won by about two percent of the vote. Uh, Osopp won by over a percentage point. One reason I stayed up a little while was because it was hanging around three and four-tenths of a percent in his race for a long, long time. And I was going to see if, if the half a percent barrier was going to be broken. Uh, but uh, we, we, we got to be happy about this, guys. I'm, I'm glad that, that my prediction of close losses turn, turned into your predictions of close victories. And uh, uh, here, here is another thing, too. Uh, in the two Senate races, there were only, like, all oh, 59 votes difference. So everybody that voted in one race pretty much voted in the other. That was not true down in uh, Bubba McDonald's defeat of Daniel Blackman, but it was true in those two Senate races. What do you think?
2: Yeah, um, I'll just tell you this. this. Uh, if there's a nuclear war, they'll be surviving Roach Bugs and Bubba McDonald. Politically speaking, <laughs> that guy suffered a $2 stake. You know, he's the only Democrat to ever win one of these run- runoff elections until uh, last Tuesday. So, um, you know, that's uh, pretty crazy. Um, Catherine, your take on what happened?
3: Well, I stayed up pretty late too, uh, but I I fell asleep with the TV on, and I kept waking up throughout the night. And it was sort of the, and I'd wake I was I fell asleep with the TV on MSNBC, and I I woke up a couple times, and you know, it was sort of this dreamy, you know, they're talking about Reverend Warnock and. Our new senator, finally I turned the TV off and went to sleep. But um, but it was kind of dreamy to hear them talking about winning, about Warnock winning while I was sort of half asleep. Um, but I, I, too, was surprised how quickly the returns came in. I thought for sure we were going to be waiting until Thursday or Friday. Some people even said Saturday. And uh, so I was kind of prepared for a wait. But then when I thought about it, it seemed... You know, compared to the November election it was a you know it was only three races compared to all the other races. So it does make sense that they were the returns came in quickly. Um as usual we waited around for Fulton and cab. So Fulton came in quicker than I expected to. But um I was very excited. You know, I woke up uh Wednesday morning and uh we were all very excited, um, where I work. Uh, we had done a lot of work on the races, so, um, that was exciting, but then, you know, it was ruined by the, um, by everything that happened on Wednesday. So it was a little, quite a drag to, you know, have that, um, moment of celebration, uh, taken away. Um, cause we, I mean, we learned about Ossoff's final numbers in the middle of all that. So, uh, that was a disappointment uh, along with all the other disappointments of the day. So, but yes, it's very, very exciting. And there, and, and I was glad to hear Niles refer to us as a purple state because a lot of people are talking about how now Georgia's blue, but those of us who have been here for a long time, we know that um, while we have these federal offices that are um, now held by democrats and we did win another congressional seat this time but when you get down to our state legislature and a lot of our um local municipal uh uh municipalities we're still pretty strongly republican so that's just more work for us to do going forward
2: yeah i do think that is something that's going to be interesting over the next few cycles Is Georgia North Carolina or is Georgia Virginia? You know, Virginia went from red state to purple state to blue state pretty quickly in a fairly straight line. North Carolina, 2008, it looked like it was on the same trajectory, and then they go back and forth. They have good things like a Democratic governor, but then they can't get rid of a Tom Tillis who's not very popular um, at the same time, so they're not in a straight line. Tim?
1: Well, I, I wanted to, to ask your thoughts on something. You know, in the McDonald race, there were forty-eight thousand less people voted, and there was only a difference of thirty-seven thousand votes between McDonald and Blackman. Blackman, though, actually got more votes than Kelly Loeffler did. Um,
0: were
1: what? Wh- why did? With just three races there to vote on, why would 48,000 people, first of all, uh, leave that race blank? And number two, are we looking at the possibility, especially in North Georgia, since our guest mentioned that that McDonald was from up here, that there were a sizable group of people who voted for all three winners in this these races.
2: I, I, I guess there's a way to kind of study ballots to see if there's some crossover voters, and there were, um, you know, Warnock, Ossoff, McDonald voters, and if there are, you know, tens of thousands of those people, that's going to explain a lot of it. Um, I do think probably there are people that just voted on the Senate races, just didn't attend to that race. And I will tell you, on my ballot, it was the two Senate races on one line, and then I want to say on the right-hand column uh, underneath was the PSC race. I mean, if you were looking and checking your ballot, you were going to see all three. Um, So I I think it may have been the fact that maybe some people just weren't even tuned into that because, you know, a lot of the combo yard signs had – saw Warnock and Purdue Law, for that matter, and the mail you got was – the mail, my goodness, uh, the postal system, they're on a holiday now with half the mail to deliver in the state of Georgia (laughs) without all those political flyers. Um, None of them had McDonald or Blackman, and and, and McDonald is a name that's been around, if I'm not mistaken – he was the fourth can- candidate that ran for governor in 1990. Am I correct on that, Tim?
1: Yes. And see, he's been on the
2: PSC for
1: 18 years. <laughs>
2: yes. Well, you know, he ran for governor, um, and, and he would have finished fourth to um, Zell Miller, Andrew Young, and Roy Barnes. Right. Um, but, but hey, he's he's still getting elected. Um, longer than all of them for whatever it's worth. Um, you know he just is there, and, and I I don't know. Um, it, it's I guess it deserves some study, but in the scheme yeah. of things, I don't think it's going to be the it, the you know it, the most exciting no, thing to but, the trends.
1: 48,000 people is a pretty good drop-off, isn't it, in a yeah. runoff election yeah, when is. you got four and three-quarters million people voting, basically. Yeah. Well,
2: you know, I think that's the bigger question going to be is how do you fix that in 2022? Because let's say you have generally the same electorate, um, and Raphael Warnock wins re-election – Stacey Abrams wins governor, and then people continue this pattern of not voting down the ballot, and Stacey Abrams takes over the governor's mansion with a Republican House and a Republican Senate, and not even necessarily – she might do that anyway – but takes over a Republican House and Senate that are more Republican than they should be because people just simply didn't – vote in the state house and the state senate seats that's going to be a problem and that's going to be a voter education issue if it's the case of people not selecting all the races that somebody's going to have to work on um because you don't want to be in that scenario where you could have more legislative power to get an agenda done not just stop things if you will Um, but i do think in the when you look at the map seemingly there are very few places in the state that are getting more Republican. Now, there's a a lot of places that are really, really Republican around the state, but they're not getting more Republican. They've been there for a few cycles. But there are a lot of places getting more Democratic, even places that we didn't win. We didn't win Fayette County Tuesday, but Fayette County is clearly more Democratic than it was. And if you look at Henry and Rockdale and Gwinnett and Cobb, you can look and Douglas can Douglas. look at Fayette County and say it's just a matter of time. Paulding County, at Paulding County, you it, it won't be 2022, but I bet before 2030, Paulding County switches. Um, Catherine, uh, you were saying loyal. something about
3: some counties? Well, I was I was surprised do by Douglas County this time,
2: yeah, but you, yeah, but if you look, I mean, it's kind of like the southern part of Paulding, you can well, see how it's. Um, switching over and so um
1: yeah well Catherine, i I was gonna say Catherine, you sit smack dab in the middle of the metro (laughs) area isn't that area expanding now out into places like douglas county and paulding county
3: yeah i think it is i mean i think that's what's happening is that um either because they can't afford to live in midtown anymore or Um, They want, you know, a bigger house, bigger, uh, you know, whatever the reasons. I think people, I mean, a a lot of my friends have moved to, you know, as far as Paulding and, of course, Cobb and, um, you know, also for lower taxes and those kind of things. So, um, yeah, I think that Metro is expanding. Um, I mean, we've seen this. This has been going on for years, for decades.
1: But it's
3: really and when they go and when they go they take
2: their politics with them. Right. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean it's gonna be interesting to watch. Well, I want to again thank Niles um Francis for coming on the show tonight. And uh and then next week we have all the way from Los Angeles of Steve Singler and he's going to be on with us. He's a contributor to Daily Co- Co's, and so he's going to um, join us next week for the show. But until then, been the Kudzu Vine. Night, everybody. Good night,
1: Good night, guys. We
0: are the
1: heirs of that
3: first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for